Vladislav Yatchenko. Have you ever heard of him? No, who's that? I haven't either. He is um okay, well according to his LinkedIn, he is uh um, <laughs> Oh good. <laughs> uh well I don't even know his um his title, but his his like line under his name is persuasion is not a coincidence, but a learnable skill. Yeah. Who disputes that? <laughs> He's well known for his book called Dunkle Rhetorik. I actually don't know how to say rhetoric in German. Manipuliere before du manipuliert wirst. So manipulate before you are manipulated. Wow, what a what a view of hum- what a view of like humans. Yeah. Like what a view of humanity. Like it's just a bunch of people going around trying to trying to get one over on each other, trying to manipulate each other. If you don't manipulate the other person first, then they'll get one over on you. It was referred to in the uh, perjury probe or charge, or I'm not sure what to call it, uh, against Sebastian Kurz that he was using this dark rhetoric. It's like a self-help, like marketing business type thing. Like, is that the uh, kind of... He graduated from uh, LMU in, in Munich and Columbia. So, you know, good good educational oh. pedigree. He was a Wissenschaftlicher Mitarbeiter at the United Nations. And now he's the, he's the founder and leader of the uh, Argumentorik Academy in, uh, in, in Munich. So uh, he seems like he's doing well for himself. I mean, he's getting, uh, he's getting cited by an uh, important legal uh, investigation. So he's got something <laughs> going for himself. That, it, it almost sounds like these guys from like the, the early 2010s who would you know, write these gu- guides on how to like, pick up women. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. pick up artists. Pick up artists. There, there we go. Well, he's thinking bigger than women. He wants to pick up a state. that's that's the innovation he's doing yeah you gotta nag austria you know kind of come in and be like oh you know nice hills i guess they're pretty old hey 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 welcome to your weekly cornish baby i'm here uh kieran with uh rob it's the polish coalition yep that's all right. I'm keeping that up. I'll name the other pairings soon. We are joined by a, a special guest, two-time guest, recurring guest, Adam Baltner. How's things, Adam? Down south. Hey guys. Um, yeah, things are things are good. At least for me personally, things are good. Um, <laughs> I can't speak for the country as a whole, but the things going on in the country are, are why we're having you on. Other than your, you know, your friendly attitude, you know. Yeah. My uh, smooth radio voice. Exactly. Really, we were looking for any concern, just any reason to bring you back. But luckily, uh, Austria delivers. Yeah, yeah. We like always, we like Adam. Adam's always something people. going on here. Always yeah. something interesting happening. Definitely, definitely. When we have you on, it's just like I, I feel like you know you open the podcast app Monday morning, and it's just like you know whatever we decide to name this episode is like featuring Adam Baltner. It's like oh no, what the fuck's happening in Austria now? <laughs> I'd like to think that our listeners are like, oh, thank God, finally it's an informative get episode. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I'm I'm not making any promises about that. <laughs> yeah, we are returning to Austria. We're going to uh, see what's going on with the are those crazy cousins to the south, the Bergdeutsche. Mm-hmm. We are we are taking a journey into the hills, not unlike uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Mm. Germany's Mordor. We are. Uh, I think I'm trying to remember all the episodes we've had on Austria because we did. Uh, we're going to keep coming back to the. Uh, Ibiza Gate, the Ibiza Affaire that we did an episode on without you, Adam. But then we also did a pretty good, um, let's say, survey of the Austrian political scene uh, with you afterwards. Um, this, like, it's it, it would be convenient to say, like, oh, we're just summarizing everything that's happened since Ibiza Gate. But 
actually basically everything we're going to talk today talk about today is like can be traced back to uh that video coming out and all of the political and legal ramifications um that have sprung from it so the other thing to keep in mind is that most everything we talk about in terms of like text messages sent uh, appointments promised um mm. backroom deals made they all happened like before the video came out so one of the basically the most important one for for the investigations we're talking about today, this guy Peter Ziedlo being appointed to uh, the board of uh, Casinos Austria happened like two weeks before um, the Ibiza video came out. And so we're, we're almost like we're going we're going to go forward in time to the present day. But in in uncovering like text after text leading up to uh, for those who don't know, about a month ago or longer than that, I, I, my brain longer, is, yeah. has been scrambled. Uh, that Sebastian Kurz is under investigation uh, for perjuring himself before a uh, parliamentary committee. Um, we're also going back in time and just piecing together all these things that already happened under the last Kurz government. Um, so with that, I think we should just dive in, unless there are any other uh, comments to be made uh, at the at the top. I think my only comment at the top, the only engagement that I've been making with the state of Austria is... I've been eating a lot of bear kaiser from Austria. That's about it, really. Nothing insightful. Like, yeah, this says a lot about how the, the Austrian state works. It's representative of, like, you know, a lot of post-war European states. Uh, you know, why why do they always end up in corruption scandals? Because, yeah. it, uh, Adam, no. you were just telling us before we started, like, this is almost like what, what they've signed up for in terms of, like, their political agenda, taking away mass politics, trying to no, 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 do no. this. I ha- I have the attitude towards Austria that the U.S. government has towards Gulf states. Just keep the barricades coming. I don't care what you do with your government. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Whereas with the with the Gulf states, it would be oil instead of barricades. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So as as Rob was just saying. um, before we started, we were talking about how Austria is ranked as one of the most corrupt um, mm. countries in Europe. And I suggested that this has something to do with the fact um, that um, for so long, um, the whole country has operated according to this principle, uh, which is called Sozialpartnerschaft uh, in German, or the social partnership. Mm. Essentially, what the social partnership represents is um, a system in which representatives from organized labor meet with representatives from uh, business and sort of get together in back rooms and work things out. Um, And the whole, um, all of the government institutions are sort of structured around this principle in Austria. And this is something that sort of makes politics or leads to politics becoming something that happens in back rooms. And and I think that there's definitely a connection with this and, and corruption. Mm. Um, of course, when you hear about the social partnership today, it's mostly in the context of um, the Sebastian Kurz conservative government um, trying to destroy one part of the social partnership, namely the the trade unions, um, and sort of dismantle the the state institutions which represent the interest of um, organized labor. Mm. Sometimes you'll hear people on the left, you'll hear left liberals talk about how we need to defend the the social partnership. Um, and I mean, in the current climate, I would definitely agree with that. But at the same time, you know, this practice of doing politics through and, and mediating social conflict through these sort of backroom dealings between 
um, insiders is a breeding ground for corruption, I think. Well, let's take a look at some of that. <laughs> yeah. the, and in addition to uh, just being a breeding ground for corruption, I think from an, from a left or from you know a socialist perspective, it's mm. um, <laughs> also uh, something that deserves to be criticized as well because it's you know it's it's against mass politics. It's at, at the end of the day, I mm-hmm. think it's quite anti democratic and it pr- it produces sort of an anti democratic ethos. Yeah. yeah. And I think any uh, left critique should point that this is, you know, endemic to how the state is set up. It's not like, oh, those bad actors who are, you know, on the right wing of things who just want to, you know, or corrupting our, our nice, peaceful uh, uh, partnership we had going. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I mean, there's there's some truth to that. But the in, I mean, <laughs> they're only able to do this because of these institutions that have built mm-hmm. up and, and calcified over the years. Fair. But the also, like, <clears throat> it's also very striking that you have these words, these very nice sounding words for what I think in other countries would just be called corruptions, like just like social partnership uh, the, that you described there would just be kind of like in Ireland, you would have just called that jobs for the boys kind of thing. <laughs> it just kind of seems like that yeah. kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, we all went to the same secondary school. Let's just go in a back room and talk about it. Yeah. I mean, in, I think, I think uh, the, like the, the more common English term for it would be like class compromise. Like so, sometimes you hear about like a class compromise. I mean, usually from like a left-wing perspective, like, um, you know, left wingers tend to be critical of class compromise, but it's it's basically supposed to represent mm. a class compromise. And um, the political culture here is is very, I mean, um, I don't know. I, I don't want to generalize too much, but um, you know, there's there are all these stereotypes types about Austrians. You know, kind of sort of you know not liking conflict or mm. almost I don't know if I don't know if quietist is the right word, but um, the the Sozialpartnerschaft or the social partnership is just kind of this this class compromise. I think I think reflects that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, this, this sort of fetishization of compromise for compromises sake, even when that compromise is actually, you know, one-sided or flawed or the business is still benefiting more from the compromise than, than organized labor. Yeah. So I think we have to, we, we have to start with the, uh, Ibiza video. Um, people probably are pretty well acquainted with it now. I, I think that the main focus was this potential quid pro quo that this purported Russian heiress would buy uh, the Kronenzeitung, right, for and give positive coverage in exchange for whatever. Um, but there's also one line that Straha said in there where he said, Novomatic pays everyone, something to that effect, which Novomatic is a giant gambling company. Uh, am I missing anything there? No. Uh, Novo, yeah, Novomatic is um, the biggest gambling company in, in Austria. I believe it's like a, a you know, a conglomerate that that owns a bunch of different sort of, that has like gambling subsidiaries i think but it's it's you know a massive massive company um and it certainly represents the novomatic is, is a political insider it was also founded uh by a man named johan graf i don't know if you've ever come across him kieran in your uh in, in your studies at one point he was the richest man in austria although uh, we already did the mega recon austria and it was the red bull guy um, no, we haven't Johann... done the Megarica in Austria. Just everyone just already knows it's the Red Bull guy. <laughs> Wait, we didn't do it? <laughs> no, we haven't <laughs> done it. Just, everyone just knows who he is. Uh, um, yeah, Johan Graf. Um, what a looker. Gotta say, straight off the <laughs> bat. Just the kind of guy who's very aware that he possibly doesn't have like a well-defined chin anymore. So he's started to grow. This is like, yeah, it's dark business George Lucas. It's like, mm. yeah, it's business George Lucas. Very upsetting. There's a lot of pictures of him with a globe. Don't like that. That's like Bond villain shit. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> According to Forbes, he um, he began importing American pinball machines to Austria via Belgium. And when <laughs> Novomatic... 
Oh man, how long I, I ago was this? This must have been a long the, time ago. That's from oh, that yeah, famous yeah. Uh, movie, The Belgian Connection. You know, sneaking those uh, <laughs> pinball machines. Oh, this the, the, but this sounds like I love how. Okay, one thing I have to say, I think my central thesis about Austria is Austria is the most Eastern European, Western European country. Um, I, was, I was just about to get to that. Take it away. <laughs> yeah, because like. We talked about the corruption levels a little bit. I think it was off mic. We'll, we'll get to that. But just like every rich guy in every European country is all like, in every Eastern European country is in the 80s, they smuggled in like fax machines or shoes or just like a really good cheese. Like it, it all starts at that. And now they just own like all the oil refineries or just have a handshake business. And that's worth like 2 billion a month or something. So he founds Novomatic in 1980, and he quickly expanded into Switzerland and the East Bloc after the fall of the Iron Curtain. Yeah, so, there you go. <laughs> like most Mega Ricas, um, it was after it was after the fall. It was you know after the fall of uh, socialism in the East that there was mm. lots of money to be made. 1989. That's when we made it big. That's when we became real <laughs> Paisa. Yeah, 1989 is the first scene in this Scorsese movie that we're laying out, and we're about to get to the last uh, hour or so. Layla's about to start playing. <laughs> um, so this line is mentioned in the uh ibiza video remember the video is from 2017 even though it didn't come out until uh may 2019 in those uh in, in the two years in between um this guy peter Ziedlow, who is um, a member of the fpo the far-right party in austria and the, then the junior partner in the coalition is appointed to the uh i believe the the board of directors for the uh, casinos austria now I'm a little confused with all of the overlapping uh, <laughs> companies and everything going on here, but Casinos Austria, as I understand, is a public company or a semi-public company that is owned partly by um, the Austrian government and partly by Novomatic. And so there's some part part of the text we're going to get into is discussions between Novomatic and the FPU to get Peter Zidlo onto the Casinos Austria board in exchange for. Um, there, there was rumor of helping out Novomatic with a tax situation in Italy um, and other various, uh, like you said, they pay everybody, just just getting business done, doing business deals. Yeah, yeah, so far, so far, so accurate. <laughs> On June 1st, uh, the VKSTA, I'm trying to think of a good way to say that um, for a non-German. I would say the, the, the office of... Um... Yeah, I mean, it's the Attorney General, basically. Okay, I was going to go Wankster, because that's what it almost looks like, <laughs> Wankster, but I'll say, let's go with Attorney General. Uh, that's yeah. a little clearer. Or the Office of the Attorney General, because the Attorney General makes it sound like it's just one person. So uh, that's when the Office of the Attorney General, again, Ibiza Affair just happened. So they begin this casinos probe, which I guess is called the Casinos Affair. It seems like they have multiple names. That's basically going to spiral out and encompass everything we're, we're talking about today. It's 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 going to be hard to do this episode. I just realized it's it's going to be hard to do this episode without sounding like um the RussiaGate weirdos in the in the United States <laughs> who are like drawing lines on a chalkboard with Trump and connecting him yeah. to all these people in Russia. But um yeah, yeah. instead of Ukrainian <laughs> names, it's just very uh, it's it's just like ski lift operators in in Austria. <laughs> some, That's right. Yeah, with an eight syllable last name. <laughs> Um, I'm going to go ahead and jump ahead to uh, end of 2019, early 2020, because 
I think I'm not missing anything in 2019. Uh, there's the, the government is dissolved and there's new elections and all that. So in December 2019, Peter Zidlow is actually forced out at Casinos Austria. I believe at some point in 2019, the, the Office of the Attorney General starts making their first uh, investigations. And basically everyone is from the FPÖ or you know this far right side of um, Austrian politics. And the reason I bring that up is because I think even we even joked about it um, back when the Abisa Gate video came out that it's like, oh, like Quartz is going to just solidify his power base. Uh, he's going to kick out the FPU and get into a coalition with, you know, maybe a more pliable party like the Greens. And that all seemed to, you know, it all seemed to be falling into place with leading FPU uh, figures being uh, under investigation, have, having their um, houses searched. Uh, Johann Graf's house was also searched. But in 2020, it's going to start to uh, turn a little bit. And then also UFLP. Uh, figures are going to get uh, implicated in this expanding investigation until it gets right up to Quartz himself. After the elections in early 2020, in addition to the ongoing investigation from the Office of the Attorney General, there's a parliamentary investigative council formed to investigate Ibisagate. So um, that's an, an U-Ausschuss, as they're saying in, uh, in, in German. We had some discussion of what to call it. Uh, think of all those Benghazi committees. They're, they're doing one of those. Yeah, it's, like, <laughs> it's like what the Republicans did for Benghazi. <laughs> <laughs> so here's our first little bit of confusion, because now from the Office of the Attorney General, I believe they have multiple probes open, including the casinos and Ibiza and whatever that turns up. But the, uh, the Austrian parliament is focusing on the Ibiza affair, but in those testimonies and in their investigation, they're going to start uh, stumbling across all those other probes that the Office of the Attorney General is also mm. doing. So that um, committee starts um, hearing testimonies in mid-2020. Um, actually, the very first person to that they uh, interview is this guy, uh, I forget his name, the head of that, um, that Falter uh, Weekly. What's his name? Oh, Florian Klenk. Yeah, who plays a pretty big role in all of this. Um, I actually didn't even realize that. He was, he was the first guy they interviewed? That's what I read on uh, the wonderful website Wikipedia. So yeah, was, no, then. It wasn't lied to. The people's encyclopedia. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. So I mean, he's also, he and those Falta, and also, from my impression, like maybe like a web of like, I don't know, more alternative uh, news sources have been like leaking a lot of these texts. So they're kind of... I don't know, becoming or already were like a kind of power player. I don't know if you have any thoughts on uh, on their role in all of this and, and the future of Austrian politics. I was actually um, talking to um, somebody a couple weeks ago who has worked a lot in, um, in the media about how it is that these text messages keep getting leaked about how, yeah. like, what's the mechanism by which that happens? Why is it like this so trickle? Um, and... Um, this person who I was speaking with told me that um, the personal relationships between sort of the media, the media class or, you know, people who work in the media and um, people in the government, politicians, people who work for these government institutions um, tend to be very buddy-buddy. Mm. Um, they tend to roll in a lot of the same circles. And um, this person was speculating that it was because of that that this would even be possible. So, I mean, it's a great thing that all of this information is coming to light now. But at the same time, maybe it's not the best thing in the world that... I mean, if you're a journalist and you're able to cultivate close personal relationships with, you know, high-up politicians, that's obviously a great thing. But 
I don't know, on the, I guess the, the flip side of this would be, I don't know, this kind of buddy, buddy relationship between politicians and the press is kind of, kind of questionable, I think. Yeah. Access, access journalism in the, in particularly in the UK is basically destroyed the press. It was a system that kind of like over time where I have my exclusive, I have my exclusive relationship with Sebastian Kurtz. Let's just say him, for example. Therefore, I'm not going to publish anything particularly critical or damning because I need to keep my exclusive relationship with, with Sebastian Kurtz. It's like that little bit of logic, which by itself doesn't seem very damaging. But then when every journalist is following the same rules uh, with various different players in the government, it becomes a problem over time. Exactly. Um, so I'm not exactly sure why. I mean, yeah, usually, usually with access journalism, um, you know, stuff ends up not com- like stuff like this would would not come out. So um, the question as to why, you know, this is all happening now. Um, I think it's, it's an interesting one that we can maybe reflect on a little bit, but I don't know that I have the answer to it necessarily. It's also around this time in mid 2020 that uh, the famous Sebastian Kurz testimony happens that uh, earlier this year, so several months later, it's going to be the basis for uh, the Office of the Attorney General putting this perjury charge on, on quotes. Just to back up for a second, because I realized I had my timeline wrong a little bit. So it was in the summer of 2019 where these first um, raids were made on the FPU, party members, houses and stuff. Um, but it is in late 2019 that the second rounds of raids are done. And this includes one Tomas Schmidt, an Pay member, who uh, has a very central role in our story. And I think basically is the hinge point from this turning into like a, an FPO specific problem uh, to one that is uh, affects uh, both, yeah, the entire uh, ruling coalition and also, you know, the so-called, you know, I don't know, the the, the better party or like, you know, this, the the, the new UFAPE under quotes. So um, yeah, Adam, I don't know if you have anything to say about Thomas Schmidt or anything to introduce about him. Uh, his chats reveal a, I don't know. I wouldn't call him interesting, but just like a douchey character, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Yeah, yeah. To put it mildly. Um, yeah. So the important things about Schmidt, uh, just to give some some information about who he is, he uh, is a lawyer um, by training, uh, and he is also a longtime uh, member of the UFOP party, functionary, and politician as well, and. Um, from 2013 to 2017, uh, so during the Grand Coalition government, uh, Thomas Schmidt served as the finance minister uh, in the in the Grand Coalition government. So the coalition mm-hmm. government between the Social Democrats and the the UFP, the Conservatives. Um, and after that, uh, Schmidt went on to uh, be appointed to uh, lead UBAC, uh, and UBAC is really quick Urbach is like a national wealth fund it's it's kind of the state institution that's responsible for uh administering investments of all the companies that the austrian government has sort of a substantial that in which the austrian government is a substantial stakeholder um so so schmidt uh is the director of the nat or was until a few days ago uh was the director of um austria's national wealth fund and that's going to play well the the Urbach is plays an important role in our story because whenever we say like um, oh, there's this company that, like some gambling company that Johann Graf's company, they might own 15%, but then the Austrian government through Ubag owns another 35%. So there's several, uh, they've gone in on several deals together, you know, whether yeah. it be opening restaurants together, perhaps, uh, you know, 
uh, certain vintage clothing store lines, uh, whatever is the latest. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know the Austrian economy, but I, I can imagine such things. Uh, one other note from late 2019, when the second round of raids were going on, uh, the Financial Times mentions one police raid at a remote hotel in the Tyrolean Alps, uh, where that used by the FPU, where they uncovered a stash of gold bullion. Uh, <laughs> yes! So, uh, I'm sure they have all sorts of uh, interesting... I'm sure Bitcoin's involved. Um, I'm sure that they, <laughs> there's all sorts of different investments that the FPU has in all sorts of different places. Yeah, this is yeah. If you were to ask me which political party in Austria is kind of like we need to go back to the gold standard kind of cranks, it'd be that party, I guess. Um, that's brilliant. I love that. Um, just to stick on on uh, Thomas Schmidt for a second, just to explain basically the the quid pro quo here is so he was an UFAP member who was made who was the head of the finance head of the finance. He's the minister of finance. Right, or, or number two, like the number two in the finance ministry who was made head of UBAC. And what's increasingly come to light is how every step of this transition was coordinated and planned by Quartz and the government leading up to this uh, transition. So uh, I believe the exact texts reveal that he um, basically wrote the job description, picked the board who would find, uh, who, you know, who would hire the eventual candidate, and then Schmidt himself, of course. Uh, became the head of UPAC. And there's some uh, at least uh, implied exchange going on here where um, Peter Zidlo, the uh, FPU guy, is made the head of Casinos Austria with help from the UVP, and this UVP member, again, close quotes, ally is made head of UBAG with help from the other side of um, the coalition. Again, all this happening before Ibisagate. So Schmidt is made head of UBAG in March 2019. Peter Zidlo appointed head of Casino Austria's beginning of May. And it's mid-May when the Ibiza video breaks. The other piece that we didn't mention yet, I don't think, is this guy Blumel. Do you want to introduce him, Adam? Uh, Gernot uh, Blumel is, uh, he is the, or he was the head of uh, the Vienna uh, UVP, the Vienna, uh, Vienna wing of the Conservative Party, or the Vienna section of the Conservative Party. And he was also the finance minister. I, I misspoke earlier, um, uh, Schmidt uh, was the, I the cabinet chef of the finance ministry, and Blumer was the finance minister, somebody who worked very closely with uh, Schmidt. Blumer is uh, fairly young, as is Quartz. I think he's about 40 years old. He's kind of like, I don't know, similar to Quartz in terms of, you know, the fact that he's kind of young and he's supposed to, you know, be this fresh face for the conservatives. Um, Underkind, just come and say exactly, sort of conservatism. Yeah, that, that's exactly, yeah. Correct. Yeah. So in 2017, Blumer sent a text to the head of Novomatic. Again, this Johann Kaff is the founder, but their current CEO is this guy, Harald Neumann. Neumann told Blumer that he needs to have a meeting with Quartz to discuss one, a donation, and for another, a problem we have in Italy. Blumer also told Schmidt, I think, with some, uh, I'm not sure when exactly. So Schmidt, again, with Quartz, I, we haven't even talked about the exact texts that were sent back and forth that have been leaked. But um, Schmidt, I think, was worried about something with, uh, like, he thought Quotes was mad at him or something like that. And um, Blumel sends Schmidt a text in 2018, don't worry your family with three kissy faces, implying that there will be no problems and not to worry. Yeah, that was just one text exchange of many that suggests very strongly that the two of them, Quotes and, and Schmidt, had 
you know, basically worked out amongst themselves that Schmidt was going to get the the job as the as the director of Uback, which he ended up getting. This is exactly what's in dispute with the with the perjury case and all of this. So, I mean, we, we can talk later whether quotes whether this might bring quotes down or not. That's a whole legal question, but it seems pretty clear what's going on with this quid pro quo, just from you know, not legally speaking, just talking on a podcast. So, quotes has sent one text to Schmidt uh, in the run up to his appointment. You're going to get everything you want. Three kissy faces. And Schmidt texted back, I'm so happy. Uh, colon knows three par- three parentheses. I love my chancellor. And then if Politico EU is to be believed, uh, three big smiley faces, two thumbs up emojis, and two flex bicep emojis. God, <laughs> fuck you, damn it. I love it. Sorry. Oh. Yeah. And, uh, and he, yeah, the, the, I, I, love, I love my chancellor is what he wrote. <laughs> That's a I, I I can see that having legs. That's a nice phrase just to say. Yeah. I mean, it summarizes <laughs> a lot of it. Like the as politically, they just want everyone to love their chancellor. He'll take care of you. Uh, I was talking to um, you know, the guys in the Hula 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 podcast, and um they were like, Yeah, the only way that the only way that Quotes could spin this is if he said that, you know, he and he and uh, uh Schmidt were like having an affair or something. And I think that's <laughs> exactly right. I mean <laughs> Quartz is is very rhetorically skilled and he kind of manages to, for somebody who, you know, dropped out of law school after one year to decide to run the Junge UFP or whatever he ended up doing, like, it seems that he really knows, like, what he can and can't say in order to keep himself out of, like, legal hot water, but he's just backed into such a corner now, like, I really, I really don't see, you know, how this is going to end well for him. But he hasn't resigned yet. I mean, I'm sure we'll come to that later. But well, he's like uh, Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates, who you know drop out of Harvard because you know they they don't need to. They're, they're smarter than than the school. So Quartz clearly was that too. He was a he was a wunderkind who was going to found uh, you know mm-hmm. Facebook with a 33 percent partnership along with uh, Novomatic. He we, we've seen a lot of we've seen a lot of Kurtz videos on the stream now. But like he 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 did like these lakeside barbecues with members of the, the the other members of the youth wing party just hanging out and be like burgers are great he has the the classic black make horny uh uh party video which i still insist that's the correct translation of schwarz um yeah yeah he, he's there, there is something to be said I, I think you said it correctly that there is there's something kind of unnerving about the people who get in so successfully and so young of yeah. knowing exactly everything to say like I, it makes you long for like a, a, a Josep Burrell type from Spain who's just like 60 something now and will just say like you know we'll, we'll tweet out one day that all Americans need to die because of the genocide against the natives or something and you're like aren't you meant to be the foreign minister for the EU like I agree with this position but you shouldn't say that uh, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah I, I miss my bumbling oafs this is what Kurtz has taken from me I miss my bumbling oaf politicians he's very Trumpian though he's like a, like I mean quotes a strategy right now um and the strat and he i mean the UFOP is basically in lock or the conservatives are basically in lockstep behind him with the strategy is they're trying to discredit the office of the attorney general um they're saying that it's all that the whole office of the attorney general is just staffed by a bunch of old social democrats who just hate who just have it in for them 
um, and that this is all just a politically motivated sham that the state institutions are being abused for, for a, you know, a political witch hunt. Uh, and Quartz, you know, his whole thing is he keeps, you know, going on television and making media appearances where, uh, and when, when asked, uh, when confronted with, you know, his chats, for example, things that he actually wrote, um, he says, this doesn't mean anything. All my words are being taken out of context. Uh, you and the rest of the media are just trying to manipulate what I'm saying. Everybody's against me. Uh, so, that, you know, everybody's just against me. Everybody, everybody has it out for me. That's the strategy. And obviously that can succeed if, you know, you can get enough of your public, if you can, you know, sort of, sort of in a populist fashion, kind of get enough of the public on your side, you know, gin up public sentiment enough so that, you know, people actually believe that, you know, you're being treated unfairly. Um, and people with, you know, resentments for whatever reason can kind of, you know, channel their resentments into your see, you know, their own resentments being reflected in the way you're being treated, you know, whether or not quits is going to be successful with this. I mean, I really don't know, but it definitely seems like that's the strategy they're going for. Um, and it's funny because I've, I've met so many people in Austria who, you know, think Trump is just so shocking and vulgar yet, you know, don't really have a problem with Kuwaits, uh, maybe even voted for the conservatives. And I mean, the content of their politics, I would argue, are, is pretty similar. You know, it's politics for the wealthiest and most powerful members of society. It's very clientelistic. Uh, it's very corrupt. But also with the added touch that both are completely just ego-driven creatures who are interested in, you know, sort of having and maintaining power for its own sake. So yeah, I, I think, you know, it might be like politically fruitful to actually compare like a quotes to a Trump uh, in terms of their attempts at, in terms of them both being right populists and also in terms of, you know, the things that they, you know, sort of the, on the policy level as well. Um, with the big difference, obviously being in, you know, the fact that, you know, Trump is like this bulber, bul sorry, bumbling, you know, bumbling idiot Whereas Quetz is kind of super, and he's like this old man and Quetz is, you know, super slick and polished and young. But, you know, beneath that kind of superficial difference, um, I think even in terms of style, there's, there's actually some uh, similarities when you, when you scratch below the surface a little bit. Uh, he's a very young leader, I have to tell you. You are a young guy. That's pretty good. But the problem but, with the age is getting better from day to day. So. That's right. <laughs> Someday you won't be saying it. <laughs> but we have a very good relationship, but we have a great trade relationship. The uh, Kurtz being ego-driven, I think, is something that in international media is quite well hidden. But I think if you look at Kurtz for five seconds and then try to imagine him being like a Mitch McConnell figure of just like... Because Mitch McConnell doesn't like... is not like a limelight guy. He, he He's power and winning and he will use a myriad of figures to get that whereas kurtz needs to be the face he he has a he has a certain i mean he doesn't appeal to me obviously because of you know my ideological my own ideological position yeah, yeah, of course. but he but he's you know i don't i don't find his you know charisma very appealing but a lot of people do it's just like with trump mm -hmm. like you know a lot of people find him totally repulsive but it's kind of undeniable that he does have a certain charisma even though you know to a lot of people it just seems you know, completely repellent um, to a lot of people. It really kind of resonates and um, sort of this, this charismatic, you know, this charismatic leader, yeah. you know, you can also draw the comparison there. Yeah. Definitely like front and center and kind of like this, you know, backdoors type, like, like a McConnell. So the Orban comparison has been made a few times, especially in like the 
I don't know what to call it, the, the Western Europe navel gazing, because whatever, they're friends, they're yeah. linked for whatever. But the fundamental question is, I mean, I think it can, when when it comes to this kind of like commentary, it can it can just, I mean, people just like throw them, their hands up like it's a train wreck, like, oh, it's gonna, it, will it happen? Will it not? Uh, like mm. like the, the authoritarian turn or whatever it might be. The fundamental question is, as you're alluding to Adam on the ground, do, do people identify with this kind of politics? Is this what they want? You know, is this what will, um, is this what will win out versus whatever other kinds of organizing or just like a, like a ingrained, like resistance to that kind of uh, power or, you know, maybe a disgust at corruption. And it's, it's, it's hard to tell, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's yeah. really hard to tell like what, what the exact balance of forces is there. It, yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's hard for me to tell even, um, and I live here. If you look at the most recent polling, um, I mean, Quartz has fallen a lot in the polls. I, I believe his approval rating is is underwater um, for the first time and maybe for the first time ever. Um, and it's, it's only fairly recently that that's been the case. Um, but he's still, I mean, like in the, in the Sunday polls on, you know, uh, who would you like to be the next chancellor? If you, if there were an election today, who would you want to be the chancellor? Um, he's still, you know, topping those polls. I mean, it's, it's pretty close, but he's still, you know, I mean, it's a downward trend. So we'll see in a few weeks, you know, whether that still holds. There is a lot of um, like people in the far right party, the, the FPU constituency who broke off from the FPU uh, in 2019 after their scandal and, and voted for the UFOP because the UFOP basically attracted so far attacked so far to the right and the FPU was kind of looking I mean they were they had completely disgraced themselves and the party just didn't really look like it had it together it didn't look like a competent political vehicle so I think a lot of people just decided to pick the winner um, pick the competent right-wing populace over the incompetent right-wing populace and vote for the the UFOP Corona has kind of scrambled the political deck. I think the FPU has, you know, really gone in hard on on Corona's skepticism, co-organizing even uh, protests uh, against the anti-Corona against against lockdown measures, against anti-Corona measures, and that seems to have had a lot of resonance. But uh, sorry, a lot of resonance rather um, with a certain group of people. Um, and the FPU is doing a lot better in the polls than it performed in the last election. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, I mean, that's a, that's kind of a very dedicated core of people, but they might have sort of a hard ceiling. I think with the Corona skepticism thing. I mean, I, I definitely there are plenty of conservatives who you know are rightfully afraid of Corona and um, think that people should be wearing face masks and stuff like that, and you know don't think it's a you know, whatever. <laughs> they don't think uh, Bill Gates is going to try to put microchips into their bloodstream or, or whatever. Filling us with foreskins. Yeah, absolutely. Austria has been more hardly hit by the, yeah, everything with the pandemic or and, and economically. Yeah, definitely. Because um, Austria's economy is so heavily based on tourism um, mm. that, you know, it's, it's suffered a lot more. I would, I would argue because of government mismanagement, um, not only from the conservatives, but also from their coalition partner, the Greens, um, who actually had the Ministry of Health. Just got very aggressively reminded of the last time we talked about Austria, which was the whole Ishkel thing. Uh, yeah. The beginning of coronavirus. Yeah, Jesus. Sorry. You forget that Austria is like a tourism or like parts of Austria is a tourism economy. 
but yeah, yeah. ski season. Yeah, yeah, more than so uh, more than um more than 10,000 people have died. I I'm not familiar with the latest numbers. More over 10,000 people in Austria have died. That's a that's a lot for a country with only 8 million people in total. Yeah. Um so yeah, and I w- I would argue because of uh, state mismanagement and mismanagement on, on the part of the Greens and the Conservatives. Coronavirus, and particularly coronavirus denial or skepticism, was like a big kind of testing moment for a lot of the like establishment, far right, right wing parties, whatever you want to call them. Like I, I think we talked about it quite a bit that like while there's a lot of uh, corona denial or corona skepticism with Germany, the AFD did not very successfully latch onto that. Um, and like a, a huge deal of their support or like traditional support, like basically said, oh, you're cucked by big pharma or whatever. It, it, I'm very interested to see how this all shakes up. It, it, to correct me if I'm wrong, but you're basically saying that FPU somewhat successfully latched on to the coronavirus skepticism uh, movement in, in Austria. That was that was the strategy. So the strategy, um, especially under kick. Well, I mean, there were basically two factions of the party. Mm. Um, Throughout the past year, there was the faction around the, um, oh man, Austrian Austrian politics. Always, always something going on in Austrian politics. Always a new development. Um, so there was the there was the faction under um, the person who was the leader of the party from Strache's resignation in 2019 mm-hmm. until a week ago. Um, a guy named uh, Norbert Hofer. And uh, Norbert Hofer was uh, basically the faction that would wear masks in parliament. And the other faction uh, was around uh, a guy named Herbert Kickl, uh, who's kind of on the right-wing extreme of the extreme right-wing party. Yeah. Um, and uh, Herbert Kickl went really hard in on the, on the corona skepticism and uh, refused to wear his mask uh, in parliament and even uh, spoke at multiple anti-corona, anti-lockdown demonstrations in Vienna. Last week, Norbert Hofer actually resigned uh, from his post as, as the leader of the FPU. And the stated reason he did for this was um, health issues. But I don't know, I'm a bit skeptical. Um, it seemed like within the party itself, he had kind of been outmaneuvered in the past year by by, by Habit Kicker, who appeared a lot more dynamic going to all these, you know, demos with you know sort of a right wing to sort of a far right with a a right wing or a far right character even um and speaking at them and so that was that was the kicker strategy and i think it worked in sort of shoring up uh, a really dedicated right wing base um Mm. that's a base that's you know very into conspiracy theories that's very skeptical of the idea of the state um, kind of this right-wing paranoiac core, um, which, you know, m- maybe also includes a lot of people who voted for the UFOP in 2019. But the question is, you know, whether there's like a hard ceiling there. And, I, you know, that kind of remains yeah. to be seen. Will, will, they, will they be able to, you know, chip into the Sebastian Quartz, you know, uh, UFOP coalition? Especially, I mean, if the, if the UFOP continues to, if the scandal continues to snowball, kind of this this massive, I mean, there are all these little scandals and all this stuff that keeps coming out. Um, you know, every day there's kind of a new breaking news story about the, the latest round of, you know, text messages between um, Thomas Schmidt or Sebastian Kurz or Gernot Böhmer and whoever. If the scandal continues to build and snowball and the UVP really gets into political hot water and starts 
dropping in support, uh, is that going to automatically translate to uh, FPU to you know rise in FPU support, especially if the FPU has just decided to become the anti-corona party, um, or you know will those votes go somewhere else? I, I mean, I don't know. We can just keep going on to the like Austrian politics now. I think we said. I think we've summarized the the scandal. Yeah, the one thing that you know I we, I should mention is um so Kuwait has said that he won't resign. Uh, so right right now um the the um, office of the attorney general is they're they're investigating Kuwait. He's under investigation, but he hasn't been officially charged with anything. However. It seems highly likely that he will be. And Quetz has said that even if he faces charges from the Office of the Attorney General, he won't resign. Um, and this would be politically unprecedented. The charges that he would be, the most serious charge that he would be facing is, is perjury. Um, is lying, um, so he, he might very well be charged with lying to the, um, to the, the um, parliamentary uh, committee, the, 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 Parliamentarische Untersuchungsausschuss about his the appointment of Thomas Schmidt to to um, chair the UBAC. Um and yeah, uh, if he's accused of perjury, he said he won't resign, uh, which is you know interesting because the charge of perjury comes with. I mean, if you're actually convicted of it, it, it comes with three years in prison. So I mean, that could very well end up being Quetz's future, but. I mean, the fact that he said he won't resign if he even gets charged is um, kind of a, a scandal in and of itself, just because it's unprecedented. It's not something that's ever happened. Yeah. So I don't know. A lot of a lot of question marks floating around. Yeah. But that's like kind of the latest. Um, nobody really knows, you know, what's going to happen. Nobody knows what tomorrow's news will bring. <laughs> I, I mean, just from like a like an international point of view, again, whatever Quartz's images of like, oh, Wunderkind or whatever, like if he's going to be like a, a a conservative leader on the world stage, like getting getting charged with something, that's that's just one step up, you know? He's he's taking the the next step. It's like there's some from like the commentariat that like, oh, he's he's not the fresh face of change anymore but that, does that mean he like failed it's just sort of like well i did that to get where i am now and now i can start phase two where it doesn't matter if i have some charge against me like well like netanyahu or trump like yeah i'm i'm, I'm playing with the big boys now like it's i'm not the up-and-comer it's like a it's like adding I, a different added... uh, element to his game like yeah. now he, he added some post moves uh, and so now he's like he's not I, really yeah. I, I started as a fresh face of change and i've entered into the league of trump and orban and netanyahu people who are old stodgy faces of the status quo in these countries like um yeah it's i think you're right i I think now it's a different game now that he's in power right yeah i just think it's funny that i mean yeah those um i remember uh after the the election and um oh god in 2017 and after, you know, quotes is swearing in as the, you know, this 32, I think he was 32 at the time as the 32 year old chancellor of Austria, you know, this pictures on the cover of all these magazines, um, say, like comparing him to Mozart, they were like, what Mozart was for music, uh, quotes is for, for, for <laughs> politics, you know, he's just like this, he's a wonder, you know, you use the word yourself, the wunderkind, um, mm. uh, he's just like so young and he's so good at politics and just like this complete, <laughs> this complete fetishization of the fact that he's young, um, yeah. and that he's like good at like that he like appears that he looks like a politician basically. Um, very little reflection on the fact that 
you know, he entered into a coalition with this right-wing extremist party, this party that's basically like a direct descendant of the Austrian NSDAP, like the Austrian Nazi party yeah. um, that was, that was founded by, that was founded by former SAS officers. Um, yeah. And um, now, you know, there's all this kind of shock and consternation coming from the media about, Oh, you know, um, you know, this, this Wunder can like his image has really been tarnished. It's like, where the fuck have you people been? Like, were you asleep? <laughs> like, it's just ridiculous. And also, I think, I mean, there's all this, like, all these raised eyebrows and all this, like, feigned surprise over, you know, just how corrupt Quartz really is. But what is, like, conservatism? What is, like, this ultra sort of, you know, Wirtschaftsliberal, uh, libertarian politics except entrenching and expanding the power of business, of people with money over workers, people without so much money? Um, to go back to the FPU, what is the, like a hardline anti-courts like politically? What is the hope for that? Because do they have a path to power or like governing that's not through the UFLP and courts? Is it like a diminished UFLP without courts as their leader? You know what I mean? Like, I just don't see what the, it doesn't seem like there's a clear tactic, which maybe or electoral tactic, which maybe yeah, that's part I, of the point. I would I say, know. I would say, do they have a, do they have a power to governing? Um, certainly not in the immediate future. Um, Without the without the UFLP, I mean, is it conceivable that there could be like a social democratic co- uh, co- coalition government with the with the FPU? Ooh. I mean, I guess it's conceivable, but I think right now, especially given the, I mean, w- with with Kick, the thing is with with Kick leading the party, like there's there's no chance that they'll be able to enter into a coalition with anybody. I'm, I mean, unless the UFLP, you know radicalizes to the right and they decide they want to go that route. I, I don't really see it happening, but um, it seems like their tactic or their strategy now um, is to focus on um, being an opposition party. So they, you know, they're, they're kind of playing the long game right now. Right. Um, they, they've contented themselves with, you know, playing the role of the opposition party to um, continue, continue to shore up their base, um, build out their, their like cadre, I guess. And then they want to see what happens moving forward. What about the other, I was going to say opposition parties, but the greens, the, um, SPU and the, um, and Neos, like they seem to be kind of leading part of the anti-corruption probe. It seems like, uh, Neos in particular keeps coming up. I don't know if that's just what journalists have been reporting or if that's, if there's some truth to that, like if they're taking maybe part of the credit, for uh, taking down the government, like where, I guess that's my question. Where is the like center of anti-corruption politics, and like who's getting credit maybe for for all of this? Yeah, I mean the the neos um, are definitely um, trying to position themselves as you know a force for anti-corruption. But you know, keep in mind, like I just said, I mean the neos that's it's the they are the the Austrian version of the of the. Um, FDP, Lib Dems. Of the FDP, yeah, yeah, of the FDP, of the Lib Dems. I mean, they're, they're the Wirtschaftsliberale Party or the, you know, the Libertarian Party, as we would say in the English-speaking world. And um, their politics are premised on, you know, tax cuts, on allowing businesses more, quote-unquote, freedom to do what they want and, you know, consequently restricting freedom of workers. Currently, they're, you know, they're positioning themselves as anti-corruption crusaders and, it's true that they and the social Democrats are um, the ones who are leading the charge against, at least in parliament, leading the charge against, 
or yeah, especially against the UFAP, they're they're vocally criticizing um, the UFAP's attempts to attack the Office of the Attorney General. The Greens, I would say, are not being very helpful, um, which is to be expected because the, the only thing the Greens care about right now is basically their their Koalitionsvertrag. So the Greens are the the coalition partners of the of the Conservatives and. The Greens actually voted against uh, extending the the U-Ausschuss. Um so the U-Ausschuss oh. is going to run out in a few months, um, and the and uh, the, it could have been extended, uh, but the Greens voted against uh, like extending the parliamentary investigation into the scandal. I mean, obviously the Greens see that because they, you know, don't want to stir things up too much with the with the UFP. Um probably because they're afraid of breaking the coalition and there being new elections um which which absolutely could happen but that's not to defend the greens i don't want to yeah no no, for sure but like it makes sense they've been falling in the polls since the beginning of the year yeah i mean that's because that's because they're you know in government yeah i mean i think i think it'd be it'd be easier to like defend the greens if like they actually so i mean the the greens whole election campaign in 2019 was based on the idea of saubere Politik, um, sort of like clean politics. Uh, you know, we're going to get out, we're going to kick out the sort of the dirty, corrupt FPÖ. Uh, we're going to bring in a new way of doing politics. You know, they end up doing pretty well, getting 15% of the vote. The UFLP conservatives bring them in. And basically, I think we can conclude now that that was an attempt by uh, the conservatives to <laughs> greenwash their party. Especially in light of you know their association with the clearly corrupt FPÖ, but um, it only went so far because of everything that came to light with the scandal, and it turns out that the UFLP was you know very much corrupt themselves. Um, so now the Greens are kind of themselves associated with this corruption and with going back on their original promise, and you know they haven't really been able to. Um, push forth any of their political program. They sacrifice most of it to the coalition contract or the coalition agreement. Um, not that they tried very much anyway. I mean, like the coalition agreement was was like really, really, really bad. Um, I mean, basically, the Greens didn't get anything they wanted and the UFLP, um, who admittedly had a lot more leverage as the party that got 40% versus the party that got 15%. Um, but it didn't really seem like the Greens um, tried very hard to construct co- to um, extract any concessions. Um, I, we, I think we talked about this the last time, but the the um, slogan of the coalition agreement is um, uh, protecting the climate and the borders. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, Klimawandelschutzen, yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that's just like the perfect embodiment of what the government stands for. I mean, it's not not even that's not even true because they're not protecting the climate. So. <laughs> Um, but yeah it it seems to be that like if if polling is to be believed it seems to be that like just not being in government right now is really helping you because it's since the beginning of the year like uh, 10 point drop for Uwe Pei uh, 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 something like Jesus a a 4 point drop for the Greens which is big for them yeah with like SPU, FPU and Neos all basically rising in the polls. With this one 
party here that dropped off in December. The, I can't get it to tell you what the name is. It's just marked as HC. Do you have any idea what that is? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's Hatze Strache's uh, failed electoral vehicle. Oh, yes, of course. He tried to start his own party. There were elections in Vienna in, in uh, the fall of 2020. Uh, and uh, Hatze Strache, he's such a little bitch. He formed a... He formed a uh, like a competing electoralist that competed with the FPU after he got kicked out of yeah. his, and he ran against the FPU, and he didn't even get into Vienna Parliament. He got three point seven percent of the vote, came just in just under the four percent hurdle. So yeah, that was pretty embarrassing for him. Owned. Yeah, so I, that was. I, it seems like that was pretty much the end of his political career. The FPU also did really poorly in the Vienna election. They got, I think they got 8%, 9% of the vote, which, I mean, that's that's down from the last Vienna election where they got like 32, 33% of the vote. So, yeah. major drop off. Well, he hasn't come up yet, Strache, but his <laughs> names are all over these text leaks too <laughs> and have been for years. So, he's just popping up here and there just with like a smiley face being like, don't forget to text so and so about the thing, Winky. You know, <laughs> Eva Grusa. I love HC. my chancellor. It's really wild. Um, his fall from grace. I mean, he was like he was making deals. He was he was wheeling and dealing. He was one of the most powerful politicians in the country. One of the most popular politicians in the country. I mean, say that with a grain of salt. Like a lot of people really hated him, but he also had his fans. You know, he was vice chancellor. But yeah, he was kind of the person setting the tone for Austrian politics for like a decade from from basically from 2008 when he became leader of the FPU until 2019 until 2017 uh, when the scandal hit. And he was, you know, a genuine popular figure amongst the amongst the FPU base um, in a way that, you know, Norbert Hofer wasn't. We'll see if Kickl <laughs> captures the magic again, the, the Hatze Strache magic. To kind of remind people, though, he was the like sacrificial lamb, basically, of the uh, Ibiza gauge, the Ibiza affair. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and they, they, I guess they thought that would help them like shake off this baggage by getting rid of this one central figure. And by looks of things, that hasn't uh, panned out. Yeah, well, yeah, and hopefully it doesn't. Although, yeah. I mean, I think right wing populism is definitely going to be a, a force in Austria for the foreseeable future. Barring, I don't know, you know, the emergence of a, you know, a, a real left-wing alternative that can change the political conversation. I want to ask another question about, like, I don't know what to call it, uh, the deep state? Uh, no, like <laughs> the bureaucracy and things. Because obviously, oh, maybe not obviously. To me, it seems like this Office of the Attorney General has taken on more power or at least more visibility. Um, there was a case back in 2018 where they raided the offices of the uh, BVT, the Verfassungsschutz in Austria. Um, and between that and there are also a few judges who were, you know, aligned with courts who were who have, who have resigned. Um, what's the whole, you know, the other half of the political machine in Austria? Like, how is that shaking out? Is there like a shift in power? Is there anything going on there? Ooh. Um... I'm wondering if anyone has made uh, memes about the head of the uh, so the head, the head of the office of the attorney general, perhaps talking about how sexy they are, a la Fauci or uh, Christian Dorsten, <laughs> or like um, um, Robert Mueller in the United States. Yeah, more accurately. Yeah. Um, no, I mean the the VK STR, the the attorney general office is still very much in the background. I feel like. 
Yeah, you bring up um, the raid of the... Yeah, back in 2017, or rather, uh, I, I believe early 2018, actually. This this was during um, the coalition government between the conservatives and the and the FPU, the far right, uh, at a time when uh, Hebet Kekli was the Ministry of the Interior. The office of the Attorney General raided the FBI offices. To my knowledge, it's still sort of unclear as to why this happened. You know, it was reported on and everything, but um, there's still a lot that hasn't really been cleared up, uh, what the motivations were, uh, to what degree, uh, what exactly um, Hebert Kickle's involvement in ordering this was, to what degree he was actually involved, so on and so forth. Um, A lot of people on the left uh, were, uh, you know, extremely afraid uh, that... Because, uh, I mean, one thing that the FBI office does, it, it investigates uh, political extremists, you know, on both the left and the right. And some people on the left thought, you know, this was sort of the the UFOP or the, the FPU uh, ministry, FPU-led Ministry of the Interior's attempt to, you know, kind of get information on left-wing activists. To my knowledge, none of those claims have been substantiated at all, though. Mm. So, yeah, it's all just sort of speculation. Nobody really knows why. Um, the attorney general, I mean, in the, I mean, they they operate in the background. They're not sort of in the political front and center, except right now, Sebastian Quetz and the rest of the conservatives are attacking the 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 office of the um, attorney general constantly. So it's in the news, and um, Quetz and his party are claiming that the. Uh, attorney general's office is just, you know, staffed with a bunch of social democrats who, you know, are, are basically misusing the office for for their own political benefit. That those those claims are just as insubstantiated as as any other claims. Yeah, but I mean, the the actual like people who are are running the institution are are very much in the background. Um, and yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, not really that much is. N- it's like the the individual people involved aren't really talked about in the media that much. What about this? Um, uh, Quartz has mentioned that he wants to like get rid of the the Vika and create a new office. Oh yeah. So I mean, it seems like a sort of an attempt to intimidate, or at least at least um, you know, sort of the the SPU and the nails are saying this is just like an attempt by Quartz to intimidate the you know the the investigators and to. Um, hamper the process and you know i'm sure that's that that seems right to me i don't know if anything will come of it it seems more like a political ploy although i mean it does kind of i mean even the threat kind of goes hand in hand with the idea that quits is somebody who's like dismantling the democratic institutions of the country which is like you know we talked about the comparison between quits and and victor orban that comes up a lot yeah that would kind of go hand in hand with that comparison i mean if you were actually to do something like that and kind of create an alternative, you know, dismantle the the office of the prosecutor and create like an alternative institution just so that he wouldn't end up in jail. I mean, we haven't gotten to that point yet. And, you know, I sort of doubt we will. But I mean, (laughs) there's a lot that's just really up in the air at this point. Im Talkessel Auschopanau am Ende des Bregenzerwaldes liefern die Milchbauern der Umgebung um 7 Uhr in der Früh den Rohstoff für den Bergkäse an. Well, that's all I got. I have more Schmidt quotes I can read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, that's, 
<laughs> let's yeah, let's end on a light now with the Sh- the Schmidt quotes. <laughs> uh, he he texted about when he was so again he was at the um, finance ministry, the number two there, uh, before he was uh, appointed to Ubak, and he said, uh, "Our time there is over. I don't have anything. We can't take any more out of it." Don't us next man's holding. So <laughs> you should read the quotation um, about uh, not being able to fly first class. Oh, I, that was next up because it's very Trumpian, I have to say. this. Uh, so I guess he had a diplomatic passport as part of um, with the ministry, but not anymore with Ubek. And several texts are just him complaining about having to travel uh, like with the rabble, like having to line up. Yeah, and uh, the, his exact quotation was pretty funny. Um, or, I mean, funny. It was like pretty revealing. He's like, ich reise wie der Pöber. Like, I have to travel like the like the rabble. I have to travel like the riffraff. Um, this was something that was all over the news um, this past week, you know, this quotation. Um, yeah, by the way, so, I mean, I don't, I don't even know if we touched upon this. Um, Schmidt resigned on... Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is the latest news. Like, yeah. what, what's happening? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Schmidt, Schmidt just resigned, um, you know, after these latest text messages came out. Um, and uh, text messages between between him and Sebastian Quartz that go all the way back to 2016, um, where he's doing Quartz favors and, you know, where, where he's doing things like, uh, you know, fr- from his job working in the office of the finance ministry, um, like raising raising Quartz's budget at the time Quartz was, um, you know, uh, minister, um, uh, the foreign minister of Austria and, you know, Schmidt uh, had his hand in raising Quartz's uh, minister budget and texting Quartz like, you owe me one and Quartz being like, like okay <laughs> <laughs> of course with many uh, uh smileys included yeah he he is that a, is that like an old person thing like using a lot of emojis <laughs> i don't know i mean i use I them know. on twitter but it's more like ironic and i don't know what one more uh in addition to the emojis one thing that always is funny is when people self-censor like they don't write out the swear word oh yeah um, and and schmidt said in one text about the uh, workers council at Obak. Um, which is, uh, I guess, I don't know how Betriebsrat to work there. I assume it's similar to in Germany. Uh, but he says it should be done away with. And then uh, the person he was texting with, probably even like sarcastically, says you have to like understand other ideologies. And Schmitz texts back, other ideologies, F-U asterisk asterisk that. <laughs> yeah, this this gets back to what I was saying. This is, that, that's like, <laughs> like these guys are, I mean, like their political position is like, fuck the working class like they they are like ideologically self-aware members of the ruling class and they want to do everything to expand their power at the expense of at the expense of our power at the expense of you know the power of the working class and yeah that's just like the clearest example of that right like people like oh you know he's just like a conservative it's like come on this is like this is like how they talk to each other you know this is like how they think it is very funny and silly but this is what the exercising of class power from the ruling class looks like today yeah excessive emojis yeah like they think they think the people they think the people who don't fly first class are are the perber are the are the riffraff and uh they think they they hear about a works council and they say yeah fuck that um like they don't have any time for that veg dumb it get that away uh yeah um and then people are you know people act surprised when it turns out that these people you know in addition to just representing this political program that entails like you know, expanding their own power at the power of everybody else, that these people are also like basically, you know, trying to personally enrich their self and use every angle they can, whether legal or illegal to do so. I mean, come on. 
of course, left-wing, you know, politicians and governments can be corrupt too. I mean, there's a lot to be said about kind of anti-corruption as sort of a politics um, and how like anti-corruption can sort of function as, I guess, a wedge issue in certain national contexts to, um, especially where corruption is really rampant, to, um, you know, destroy the left. Um, you know, take Brazil for an example where, you know, sort of everybody's a little bit corrupt, but then, you know, the, the courts start going against this one extremely popular left-wing politician who's like maybe not, who's no more corrupt than any other politician. The politics of purely anti-corruption is like the politics of people like uh, Navalny and uh, um, uh, the YouTuber's wife in Belarus that I keep forgetting the name of. Yeah, Tetsnovskia. Svetlana is her first name. Svetlana is her first name. The problem with like particularly in Eastern Europe is it just acts as a Trojan horse for a bunch of other Exactly. That's that's what I was grasping for, a Trojan horse. Because like it's everyone can kind of agree in like in Belarusian society and Russian society, or at least a decent section of the population. You'd be like, yeah, the getting fleeced out of like 50 Euro. Every time I deal with like the traffic police is fucking shitty, but like what else is on the party platform is never really asked for. Nobody should be surprised by the fact that people whose whole political ideology revolves around, you know, the rule expanding ruling class power over the working class also do things to personally enrich themselves, things that aren't legal. This isn't to say that corruption, that no left-wing politicians or parties or, or, or individuals are ever corrupt. But I think that corruption poses like a real and genuine threat to left-wing movements. Like, yeah, th- this is what, like, I, I think it's completely contrary to like what I would imagine is a left-wing ethos. But that's obviously not to endorse like anti-corruption as sort of an end in itself as, as a, for its own sake. <laughs> like it should be, like, it should be, it's important insofar as like it can like destroy like the ethos of solidarity, I think. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, is there any positive notes you want to share from Austria and the left? Uh, any positive notes to end on? Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, what's the, I should, we should know, oh man, I'm so bad with quotations. What's the Mao quote? Um, like, uh, everything under heaven is an utter chaos. The situation is excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah um i don't know if the situation is excellent but i don't i mean i don't know i, I yeah <laughs> we could leave it at that yeah uh, and that's what we have to leave it on but uh thank you very much for coming on Adam. yeah you're welcome i guess the, the optimistic note to end on would be you know think about how much worse this all could have been if none of this stuff ever came to light oh yeah that's true. like these these guys are i mean like our ruling class is, you know, just corrupt and, uh, you know, mean spirited and just ruthless. Um, but they also keep tripping over their own dicks mm-hmm. with the, with the Strache video and with the, you know, all these text messages that were just found out so easily just by, you know, agents from the state coming and confiscating these guys' phones. Um, and now all this stuff gets leaked to the press. Like, you could have imagined a situation in which, you know, none of these things ever came to light and uh, in which sort of a coalition between the, the UFLP and the FPU uh, was able to continue sort of expanding their right-wing hegemony. Um, now there is sort of a window 
uh, in which alternatives might be able to come to light uh, in a way that uh, would have been a lot harder before. Um, that would be the optimistic note that I would end on. But um, just because there might be a political opening doesn't mean like the left is automatically going to constitute itself. So there's still a lot of you know hard work that needs to be done. A new political opening in Austria to be filled by the Austrian version of Jobbik. Um, are you guys excited for uh schwarz oh yeah (laughs) yeah the what's the new polls now that like everyone fucking loves uh lashes rather than bearbach now yeah yeah that'll be fun join us join us for like what will be like an insane live stream in september where we're all dressed like a um Charlie from Always Sunny in Philadelphia and the Pepe Silvia bit, just like pointing at maps. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything you want to uh, promote? Anything you wrote recently? Um, No, uh, recently I haven't, I haven't written anything. So, I mean, just uh, in German on Mosaic or in English. um, Yeah. A couple, a couple of things on, on Jacobin. Well, we've got German listeners, people who can speak and understand German. I'm I'm not one of them, but I presume some people out there can speak German, uh, unless this is some sort of elaborate prank everyone's been playing on me. But yeah, uh, yeah, like I said, thanks for coming on. Uh, Oh no, (laughs) and uh, um, we will catch everyone on oh god Friday. Ciao, ciao. Peace. Thanks, Adam.